Tonight, we got another amazing guest for you, author of the book, Do No Harm, and founder of Forever Homes for Foster Kids, Mr. Richard Velasana. Stay tuned. Welcome to Talking Junk. I'm your host, Jason Melendez. Live now every week on Friday. Talking Junk. A multitude of professionals in different aspects, different walks of life. You have to come on and talk junk like a normal person. This episode is sponsored by... Heaven's Pantry's Excalibar, the only chocolate energy bar that tastes like a vegan brownie. This thing is six simple ingredients, dates, cashews, almonds, cocoa powder, coconut oil, sprinkled with a little bit of sea salt to taste. It is 100% gluten-free and all natural. It will give you the best power boost you need, excuse me, energy boost you need to get you through the day. Make sure you go to Amazon.com right now and you Use the promo code HP Street to get 20% off your first order. And then use our promo code TalkJunk69 to get 10% off every order after. Because we know you'll be back. This episode is also sponsored by Dizzle. The premium liqueur straight out of California. This liqueur is 80 proof and is 40% alcohol by volume. It is only considered a liqueur because it is cognac and tequila mixed with hints of citrus and mango. This thing mixes with everything. We tell you every single week, if you're not dizzling, just what are you doing? Welcome to Talking Junk, the podcast that comes to you live every Friday night. I'm your host, Jason Melendez, back with another amazing guest for you. Every week we have inspiring guests that bring stories of their life here and it can only lift you, lift you higher. And what better of a story than of a man who dedicates his life to help foster kids? Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome Richard Villanueva. Excuse me, Richard Villasana. How you doing, Richard? I'm doing okay. How's your night? Doing excellent. Good, good, good. Uh, so let's just get right into it. Uh, how how did you get uh, involved in the foster care system? I know normally people uh, usually spearhead things like this if they were uh, involved in foster care themselves growing up or if they had somebody close to them who was involved in foster care. I didn't have anyone who was involved in foster care, but when I was a sophomore in high school, I had, we all worked at the local pizza hut. We were in a city outside of Houston and my friends who were working with me were also going to the same high school and they had similar situations in that one. He had a really rough uh, life with his stepfather. And at one point he was kicked out of the house. And he came in and said, I don't know where I'm going to stay. And I said, 
hey, you can stay with me. And I'm thinking, what am I doing? I better check in with my mom and see if this is okay. And she said, well, it's your room. If it's okay, if he stays with you, it's okay with us. So I got a roommate. And then about six months later, my other best friend, his family was moving to Georgia. And at this point, we were juniors. And he's thinking about his senior year and didn't want to leave, go to a new high school, go through all the drama. And so we said, well, you can stay with Richard. And so I ended up having two roommates. So even though they weren't in foster care, one could easily have been in foster care being kicked out of the house. Right. And the other one just simply was there because the family moved and went to a completely different state. So that was probably my closest brush with foster care at that time. And well, it's a, it's a, it's, it's kind of like street foster care. Uh, we went through the same thing where we lived. We lived in the Bronx growing up, and we, we had a bunch of people living with us at the time. In and out, different people, some friends, some family. I understand where you're coming from. And what really pushed me into foster care, though, was that I found I had a gift for finding people. And I was very lucky. I had a mentor. We were doing international business throughout Latin America. And being with someone who was watching how I did things, he noticed I had the skill of finding, uh, first off, officials and people we needed to find in another country. So, for instance, we would go to Mexico and we would meet with these officials I had found. And when I say an official, it's not like meeting the mayor, someone who's high profile. These would be very specific people that we would be trying to find and or hope to find and i would find like this needle in the haystack person that could really help us and he pointed it out to me and he let me know wow you have this gift of finding people and he also pointed out that it was a gift because i said i I do this all the time he said well that doesn't matter just because it's easy doesn't mean it's not helpful to people right and so Word kind of got out organically, and I started getting phone calls from some professionals who said, you know, I haven't seen my brother in 10 years. Do you think you could find him? And I would find him. I would do it. I was successful at it. And then word kind of got out, and people started calling me who I had nothing to do with business. And then all of a sudden, I started getting calls from foster care agencies saying, look, we've heard about you. And this is all before Facebook. I don't know how people were hearing about me, but they would say, we've heard about you. We'd like to see if you could find the grandparent or an aunt for this child we have in foster care so we can get them back with their family. And that's how I got started in doing all this. Wow. So you you were a coincidental PI of sorts. Absolutely. Someone described it one time that, some of us, we walk into something because we want to. You know, we grew up saying, I'm going to be a firefighter, and we become a firefighter. Other people like me, I was kind of like pulled into it. It wasn't like I said, hmm, foster care. That's where my life is going to go. It just didn't start that way. Right. It chose you from an early age, it seems. It did choose me. That's a really good way of putting it because I have this skill, and people sometimes say, well, 
because of your background, why foster care? And the reason is I'm very good at what I do. And we get cases that are desperate. Well, I mean desperate. We've got someone who's 17 and a half years old. They got six months before they are aging out. And I don't know if you're familiar with aging out, but when a child ages out at 18 in this country. Right. They, they, they take them out of foster care. That's it. They're kicked out. They lose their home. They they don't have dinner tonight. They don't have a bed to sleep in. They may get 60 bucks in their pocket. They may get no money in their pocket. Right. And they, they go from having being a foster child uh, who was displaced from their family to being a homeless person on the street. Absolutely. And it could be worse. One statistic, which is shocking. Some kids could become a sex trafficking victim in as little as six hours. That means if they get dropped off somewhere at 6 p.m. today, by midnight, they're already being courted by someone who's going to pull them into prostitution or into human trafficking by midnight. Right. And that's become a silent epidemic. No, Nobody's really talking about it. These these kids and uh, young women are just being abducted left and right. Nobody's really saying anything. No, they're not. Unfortunately, we don't track what happens to these kids unless you get a university that does some big study. And the numbers are terrible. The numbers are that four out of five foster teens who age out become homeless, turn to crime so they could have money for food, they end up in prison, or they have a life of prostitution, or again, they're being marketed around for labor, sex, human trafficking, whatever. These are terrible outcomes for our foster teens that we have as a society said, we will take care of you. We are taking you from your parents you are now our responsibility, and this is how we're treating them at age 18. Right. Now, how does your organization get these uh, foster cases, and what do they do with them once they uh, obtain them? So when a child comes into foster care, agencies are required by law to jump into action and look for a relative. Now, they may get lucky, and let's say a child is taken away from their parents tonight, maybe the agency can get information about an aunt or uncle that's living nearby. They come pick up the kids, take care of the kids until things get strained out with the parents. And at least 50% of the time, kids do go back to their parents. But for the other 50% of the kids, they may stay with the aunt or the grandparents or whatever relative. But there are a number of children that that isn't possible. Relatives are living somewhere else. I live in San Diego. Now, my family all lives in Texas. So let's say I was 10 years old and something happened and I got taken away from my relatives, from my parents. There is no one nearby to take me in. So at that point, the agencies start looking around. They make a list. And then they start trying to find the people on the list get their telephone number, a way to reach them, then they notify them. Those are the three steps. Make a list, we locate them, we notify them, and hopefully we do enough relatives. Someone's going to step up and say, sure, I'll take Richard. He can come live with me. 
problem solved. At least the child now is with family. And that's how that part happens. And the second part of your question was, how do we get those cases? Well, just like before, these foster care agencies know about us and they will call us up. We just got a call from Catholic Charities saying, we've got cases that we think you can help us with. Tell us how we can get involved and how you can help us get these kids back to their families. So what do you at, do you ever help any of these foster children get adopted by people that aren't uh, related to them? Oh, that happens a lot. There are situations where unfortunately a child gets abandoned and there are thousands of kids every year who get left in a shopping center, get left in a restaurant, wandering the streets and they can't go back to the parents or the child's too young and there's just no way to connect them to the parents. They're gone. And at that point, adoption is really the only way to get them out of foster care before they're 18. And so what will happen in cases like that, the agency will come to us and say, look, we need to do our best effort to find a father and a mother. We got an idea where they might be living. Can you help? And we will do that. And because we're very successful, we succeed close to about 84% of the time we're successful in finding somebody. So because of that history of success, if we go back to the courts and say, you know what, there's not enough information or we did our best and we can't find them, the courts will say, okay, you did a good faith effort. You did a thorough search. We will now terminate their parental rights. And that allows the child to be adopted. So we have been instrumental in many adoptions going through and having that child out of foster care. In fact, can I share a story with you? Yeah, of course. Right. So we had four kids. Now, two were young, like under seven years old, and the other two were older, over 10 years old. So they had these four siblings. The younger two, they got adopted by their foster parents. The other two, because of their age, the court said, you know what? We really want you to find the father. And this is one of those situations where the foster care agency, they tried. And in this case, the father was living in Mexico. And they said, we don't speak Spanish. We don't know who to call. And that's why they came to us. We specialize in finding relatives in Latin America. We have found relatives in Brazil, Argentina, Dominican Republic, Central America. So they came to us. And in three weeks, we had done our research and we came back. Actually, they weren't really anticipating us to do anything. The caseworker was like, okay, we're giving it to you. Good luck. We got a court date in 30 days. It's your problem now. Huh? (laughs) It's your problem now, bud. It's your problem, and we don't think anything's going to happen here. But, you know, my boss told me to do this. There was not a lot of optimism on this case. (laughs) Well, we got it done within the 30-day period. It went to the court. It went to the judge. And here's the situation. The father was not Mexican. He was actually an indigenous population. So that would be like Native American. In his case, he was Nahua. 
And okay. because of that, that made it extra difficult because it's apart from being the regular Mexican. And just like we have Native Americans who are on their tribal land, we, you know, similar situation. So the information went to a judge. We said, we didn't find the father. We found two possibilities. Well, at the end of the day, the judge said, you know what? This particular parent has crossed over. He has lied and given us different names. He's given us different date of births. We're going to call it a day. We feel what you did was over and beyond. We're going to go ahead and let these two kids get adopted. That caseworker was flipping out. She's like, oh, my God, I can't believe it. Because they were all looking for this thing to go for five or six more months at least. Of trying to find the father? So five or six more months of trying to get the dad? Five or six months of just kicking it down the road because they were going to do their best to find the father. But the judge was so convinced with the information we gave him and the quality. He said, you know what? I accept that the best job has been done. We're going to terminate his parental rights, get these kids adopted. Wow. So what are, do you work a lot with uh, immigrant children? We do. We've actually been called in and we're working on behalf of the federal government. And we have been doing that for the last year and a half, working with the children that were separated from their parents in 2017. In the Trump camps. Right. Uh, Those kids, they were separated. And for people who aren't familiar with that, until this was happened in 2017, if a child and their parents showed up, whether it was in the middle of the desert or through a port of entry like San Diego, they got to ask for asylum. And the kids and the parents stayed together. Unless there was something really serious, like the parent was violent. That's the only time they would separate them. So that was rare. 2017, that changed. Everybody got separated. So all of a sudden, you had thousands of kids who needed a place to stay. You had thousands of parents who are now being locked up. And by the way, crossing the border at that time was still a misdemeanor. So think about it. It's like jaywalking. You don't expect to go to prison for jaywalking, but these parents were being put into federal holding or into a federal facility over a misdemeanor over a misdemeanor absolutely and so now the government in 2018 then president trump signed an executive order saying we're going to reunite all these kids and that has been going on now for more than four years some of these kids have been separated for up to five years. They have not seen their mother. So imagine this. There are kids who got separated and they were one and two years old. They have not seen their mother or their father for five years. Now, these children were separated from their parents. Their parents were deported back to their country and the children stayed here. Yes. Many of the parents were deported back to their country. The kids did stay here. For the most part, the kids were able to be matched up to a relative that was already in the United States. So maybe there was an aunt living here from, let's say, Guatemala. Mm -hmm. And so they would find information about the aunt and they would pass the child to the aunt after making sure the aunt was not doing something illegal, that she seemed like to have a stable household. 
And so the kids all stayed here. And many parents did get deported either back to, in this case, Guatemala or across the border of Mexico. Some stayed, but the vast majority went somewhere else. Now, what what are some of what are the biggest uh, issues you face with trying to get these uh, children back to their parents in different countries? Is it just the locating part, or or are there other obstacles that you have to get through? That is a great question because while we have been doing this, we've seen that there's actually two parts to the work that we do. There's the prep, and then there's the locating. So the prep is we had a case where they wanted us to find the mother. We had one other piece of information, and they said she lives in Guatemala. That was it. I mean, that's like someone saying, we want you to find Jason, and he lives in California. Good luck. There's a lot of Jasons in California. (laughs) Guatemala is a huge place, so that's all they said? She's here in Guatemala, and that's it? They didn't even give you a town or anything? No. No, Guatemala, that was it. We still closed the case. Oh, wow. Yeah, we still closed. took us a while, but we were able to close that case. So what we have seen is that a lot of the information, they misspelled the last name. So yours is Melendez. So they might spell your last name with an S. They might mix the, the L and the N. They might add an A in there because of the way it sounds all kinds of different ways that you can mess up a name in Spanish. Right. And then you've got people from Guatemala. Well, they are indigenous. That means they speak languages like Quiche, Mom, other languages. And we're lucky if people understand Spanish up here. Much less get some indigenous language and they're trying to say it and what we've noticed is a lot of people do is phonetically. So if it sounded like it's spelt one way, that's how they wrote it. But it had nothing to do with the way that really was written. And so we've had to decipher all these writings of all these custom agents who tried their best, but they didn't get training. And they aren't trained on how to do this stuff. Even if they get thousands of people coming across every month, doesn't make them an expert in Spanish names or experts in mom. And so, so much information is kind of messed up. They've got people living in different cities, different states, or there's no information. So we first have to do all of that, and then we can start looking for them. That seems like a a, a lot of uh, work. A whole lot of work. Uh, are there any cases that stand out in your head that took more than the extra mile? The one from Guatemala certainly did. That took us months because we had to figure out how to find some way to use the two pieces of information they gave us. Sometimes it's, we've worked one case recently where they didn't know where the person lived and then they said, oh, We think they live in Guatemala City. Well, yes, they might have been right, but the reason they had Guatemala City down is because that's where they deport people to. So that would be (laughs) like someone getting deported from Spain and going to Los Angeles, and they say, oh, 
Jason lives in Los Angeles. No, Jason doesn't live in Los Angeles. He, he just got to Los in Los Angeles. Right. <laughs> and what? they were so happy they had this piece of information. And as soon as I looked at it, I thought, you've got to be kidding me. Um, yeah. So once you do this so much, because we've been doing this for almost 30 years, we see things and just instantly we're like, no, nope, that's not right. Wrong. So we're not wasting time trying to run down a bad path because we already know it's a bad path. Were there ever any cases that you thought were going to take you a while, like the Guatemala case, but you've wound up wrapping it up as uh, quicker than you thought? Oh, that happens a lot, fortunately, because, again, these kids have been separated for so many years. So we love those. We closed two cases this week from Guatemala. And, yes, I really did expect those to take longer. One was similar to the one in Guatemala. Actually, it was, it was similar to the one with Guatemala City. I thought it was going to take us a lot longer, but we're very persistent. We, we have a plan B. If that doesn't work, we have a plan C. We have a plan D. We have it all the way out. So we don't just stop and do one activity and say, ah, that's it. I guess we didn't succeed. We're always looking for, okay, what's next? Who can we call? Who can we work with? And that's what happened here. We just kept going after it. And I think um, we closed those two in less than 90 days. Do you guys kind of have like a systematic blueprint that you use for every case? Or does it differ from case to case? It differs from case to case and from country to country. So, for instance, in Mexico, well, they have streets like we do here. They have street numbers, so it's easy to get an address. Then people can mail information down to the relatives. Hi, we've got Mario or Maria here, and would you like to take them in? Okay, pretty straightforward. You can't do that in Central America. You don't send letters to Honduras or El Salvador because there is no – they are not getting magazines in their mailbox. They are not getting flyers. That whole concept is out the window. It doesn't work that way at all in those countries. So you have to look How does for, it work? Huh? How does it work? Uh, what they'll do is, for instance, one of our team members, they'll buy things. They'll have someone in Miami collect it like a relative or a service. And once they get enough stuff, they'll put it in a box. And then they'll ship the box over to them. But they're not going to get a letter or a flyer or something like that just doesn't work. It's a very different system from what we have here. And down there, it really is something where they would say, look, go five blocks down, see that school. Now just hang a left, go to the third house. Because there's no streets. It's not concrete. It's dirt. And there's right. no numbers on that dirt road. It's just something that you walk on or you don't walk on when it's raining and flooded. It's not like here in the U.S. where everyone's got these really gorgeous concrete asphalt streets, nice lines. we got bike lanes. None of that is happening in Central America. And so it really depends upon which part of Latin America you're working with.
Sorry about that. My uh, mic went out. Um, so what would you say uh, would would be uh, – I don't want to say what's the, the, the country you work with the most to try to find children. Is there a, a, a big comparison to foster children in the United States as opposed to in other countries? Or is it kind of neck and neck? So we actually have a very unique system. There are only eight countries, Japan, France, the UK, Canada, and a few others. I think Cambodia is one of them. There's only eight that have what we call a foster care system. And the rest of them, pretty much it's an orphanage type system. So there's that uniqueness right away. And again, Canadian system, I've talked to people in Canada, seems pretty similar. Uh, The French, again, have a foster system that came from an orphanage type system. Same thing with the UK, where they're trying to put in better services for children, get them treated better, find their relatives. So in that respect, those countries that do have foster care are pretty much in their own little group and doing their thing similar to what we do. Uh, let me uh, rephrase the question. Cause that was, okay. that was great information. But what I meant to ask was, do you see more of an influx of uh, children needing the foster care system more here in the United States or more in other countries? Well, that's a good question. It's really hard to give a, a great answer for that because in the UK, part of the problem in all the countries is just underreporting. Are there, we have a massive amount of kids who are homeless, but we don't really count those kids. So we have no idea how many of these kids are homeless that really should be in foster care. And those homeless kids do end up in foster care because they end up on the street and maybe mom and dad are drunk in the back of the car or something happens, the car gets stolen and now they don't have a home. So there's this whole population of people that we're not tracking. And honestly, it would be very hard to track transient people like that. And in these other countries, they would have similar challenges, especially if you're talking about uh, Cambodia or non-industrialized uh, countries like the UK, France, Canada, Japan, United States. It would be um, it's going to be a challenge for us. It's going to be a challenge in, in Canada to track down again those transient kids and know how many should be in care. And another problem is that with COVID, many child experts have been very fearful that there has been a lot of abuse that has happened at home because nobody was able to see it. They weren't around teachers who could see little Johnny every day and notice that little Johnny was not doing well, or he wasn't eating, or he was stealing food. Or he was getting aggressive, which could be a response to an abusive situation. These kids have been locked up at home because of COVID in cases. So there is this expectation that within the next year, we're going to see more and more of these cases come out. 
and we may have a crisis on our hands just from that problem. So in other words, we'll have a foster care pandemic due to the pandemic uh, that we just had. Exactly. That's, it's incredible. Have you ever uh, had an uh, instance where a parent was looking for the child for years but just couldn't find the child? And you guys happen to to uh, find each other. Haven't so much as worked with parents who have tried to find the child, but we have definitely worked the opposite. So one of our first cases, and one of our most beloved cases, I guess I would say, was a girl who had been left here in the United States at 15 years old. Her mother, for whatever reason decided to leave the United States, go back to her family in Mexico. The girl had two younger siblings and the mom took the other two, but left the girl. And that could be because the girl had grown up in the U S or had been acclimated to life here in the United States. Maybe she felt that the government would take better care of her daughter. I don't know. Does the government take care of any child better than a family? You don't have to answer that so, question. Sometimes <laughs> yes. Well, sometimes yes. Sometimes no. Sometimes it's worse. Uh, that's a whole other conversation there. But in this case, a girl did end up in foster care. She got out. And now fast forward to she's in her mid-20s. She got married to a gentleman who was in the Army. And he was over in Iraq at the time. And I get an email from him. He said, look, my wife has decided to try to find her mother, but she's not having any luck. I'm over here fighting in the war. Can you help? I'm thinking, well, sure. I'd love to help. I'm a veteran. I would, I love helping the military. So it took us about two weeks and we found her mother. We found her grandmother. We found her whole maternal side of the family down there and we're able to reunite them. And it was amazing. He wrote back and said, you have reunited a family. God bless you. And that was one <laughs> that of the most. That sounds amazing. It was amazing that it, we were able to do that for this soldier over in Iraq who was trying to help his wife from way over there to be reunited with her mother. So that was amazing. Uh, your book, how did you... Uh... How did you think to write uh, Do No Harm? Is it something that just kind of came natural with the work that you do with the, in the foster care system? Well, the book came from a, a couple of sources. Number one, I was a columnist with Foster Focus magazine for years. So I have been writing. I have articles that have been published with uh, different uh, magazines. So um, there was that. And then number two, just there's all these articles that are out there by really great reporters, but they only talk about a little segment of this whole problem. And so I thought, you know, the public really needs to know what happened. How did we end up separating these children in the first place? And what's going on with these children now? It's been four or five years and these articles are out there, but again, 
is only a little piece here, a little piece there. So this book brings all that information together, makes, follows the breadcrumbs through the government system. When a child comes in, they were separated, which organization they go to next, how they end up being with a mother or a father or an aunt or uncle. And then, unfortunately, because these are people who are undocumented, that means they don't have steady income, don't have health care. Their living situation is precarious. People in poverty, they may turn to, just like a lot of people, they're susceptible to drinking, drugs, uh, divorce, all these things that can break up the family. Now what happens? Now you have a child that may very well end up in foster care because of neglect, because of abuse. And that's what's happening. This is you got all these children, all these immigrant children who are now coming into the foster care system, who are coming from places like Guatemala where they speak mom or Acateco or Quiche. And you have these children coming up who speak Spanish. And these agencies are not ready. They're not prepared. They don't get training. They don't have someone who specializes in languages. We've already talked about how people who work on the border day in and day out who see people who speak Spanish every day who can't spell the last names properly. And again, I'm not trying to make them out to sound stupid. It's not that. They're not trained. Right. Without proper and, training, you can't do anything correctly. And without doing it correctly, you're just kind of part of the problem because it makes it that much harder for you to actually find the people that need to be found. Absolutely. So all these little pieces go together to create what I call a foster care crisis. We already have a foster care crisis that is because of COVID. Many grandparents died. Many grandparents now cannot be taking care of their grandchild for fear of getting COVID. We have parents who died during COVID. We have aunts and uncles. We have all these adults who died. We have people who are in foster care, who were foster parents who have pulled out of the foster care system. So we have this deficit of foster parents to take care of the kids in the first place. Almost every state is suffering and screaming for more foster parents. So we have that problem going on. We have a pending problem with these kids who may very well have been abused for the last three years that will now be found out, that will now be removed from their parents. So there's that problem. And now you have this massive number of children who are coming up from Central America because of policy changes that were made that pulled funding from these countries that our involvement down in these countries dissipated over the last several years. And so we're seeing some of the economic damage that's happened down there. And guess what? We are the land of the free. We're the land of opportunity. And these people are coming up fleeing incredible violence. So that is not going to slow down. And now we have these children who are finding their way into the foster care system. It's getting hammered from all sides. And it is a massive problem. And that's what the book talks about. It talks about the kids coming in, the problems they face, and now they're all coming into foster care. And that is a major, major humanitarian crisis. Uh, I'm here on your website, uh, foreverhomesforfosterkids.org. Uh, 
what is your this uh let me just pull it up so tell us why is that there all right sorry my screen is being difficult but we'll get that up right here i guess not all right so there's a there we go. There was something that flashed up here when you go onto the website. Let me refresh oh. it, see if it'll pop back up. What is that survey that you're offering to send everybody? Is that uh, the numbers to what what you guys uh, place uh, outside of Foster? Or is that just something that'll get the word out to, to the pandemic that's happening? So right now, that's for a, a white paper that lets people know three biggest reasons why kids end up in foster care and ways that they can help a foster child. And most people, they would care. They would want to help a foster child, but they don't know where to start. And so that's what this report is all about, giving them an idea of what are the things that are happening to foster children and how they can take immediate action. And that immediate action can be Finding a Facebook page like ours, liking the comments, leaving a comment, sharing the story with other people, because one of the worst problems foster kids have is that they're hidden. People don't hear about them. People don't talk about them. If we don't see them, we don't hear about them. They are invisible. And these kids desperately need people not to live their lives not knowing that they're out there. These kids need help. They're innocent. They have not done anything wrong except had parents who did things wrong. But these kids need our help. And part of that is education and just putting a spotlight on these kids to say, hey, they exist. They're here. There are solutions. So we've been talking about terrible things, but there are solutions to helping these kids and to getting these kids back to a normal life or as normal as possible. And part of that is finding their relatives, getting them back to an aunt or a grandparent or someone who will take them in who's family and will give them a forever home so that child now has stability. They're not moving twice a year. They're not at risk of being abused in the system. And they're certainly not at risk of aging out and being put on the street. There are solutions and there is hope because there are thousands and thousands of people who are out there right now today working hard, who have dedicated their lives to helping foster children. So it's not a lost cause. It needs a lot of help, but it is not a lost cause and we cannot lose hope and not help these children. Right. And it, it's, it's kind of cliche to say, but the children are our future. And without them, this world is doomed. It is. They are our future. Whether we believe it or not, like it or not, they're going to be the next leaders that we have. And we have this group of people. And I do want to call out one person in particular, Simone Biles. Look at what she has done. But she was a foster child. And she is very proud about letting people know she was in foster care. 
and that she went to live with her grandparents and the, her grandparents adopted her. And because of that home life and that stability and because the encouragement she got from having that stability and that love and care from her grandparents, she is, as we all say, the greatest of all times. She's got more gold than Fort Knox and now She's to be presented with the Presidential Medal of Freedom. I mean, a foster child. Wow. Shout out to Simone Biles. Now, before uh, we let you go, because you know we know you're a busy man. You have a lot of uh, children to place into these uh, homes or to find these families, most being in countries where you need to concentrate on uh, trying to find them. So we don't want to keep you too long, but we do want to ask what your mission statement is for Forever Homes for Foster Kids. And when we donate, what does that get a foster child? So our mission is that every child has a forever home. That is our, that's our mission is to get them out of foster care and back with family. And if we can't get them back with family, then we get them adopted. And as we've talked about, we have been instrumental in doing both getting those kids with a family that loves them and getting kids back to relatives and I do want to point this out, that in almost all cases, the kids that we work with, no matter where they come from, end up staying in the U.S. because there's always family here in the U.S. So uh, it's not like we're putting kids on planes and flying them back to some country. No, they're staying here. So and a lot of the kids that we work with on the foster care side are U.S.-born kids of U.S.-born parents. So we are working with Americans and trying to get those kids back to family. And when they donate, that helps us with that case because all we do is run on donations. We offer the services free to the counties, the agencies that have foster kids. So every dollar of every donation goes to help us do that work and get that child back to their family and into a forever family. Wow. And thank you very much, Richard. Before I let you go, uh, uh, Tay Saika asked, where did you get those headphones from? I'm trying <laughs> to get good headphones, and those look comfy. They are comfy. I, I remember these are from uh, Plantronics. They aren't cheap, and they are oh, very comfy. Like so <laughs> thank you so much. One thing I would say, one last comment, sales from the book, proceeds are going to help foster kids. So not only can people learn about foster children, they can also help support them. And there you go. There you go. Thank you very much, Richard, for coming on. It's 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 been a godsend to, to hear your message for these foster children. Uh, we should all take a page out of your book and i'm not just talking about do no harm which we should take a page out of there however we should take a page out of your personal book and uh look to do good for these children uh we said it before like it, it is cliche they are the future and we really need to nurture them in a way where they'll be healthy and able to run this world so thank you 
from me and everybody in the Talking Junk Network community for uh, stepping up and making sure our youth has guidance and a uh, a private eye to to find uh, their happiness or their forever home. So thank well, you. Thank you for having me. Pleasure's all mine. Uh, can't wait to uh, have you again. We're looking forward to that next book. Well, thank you. Thank you. Talk to you later, Richard. Thank you for having me. Happy holidays, everybody. Happy holidays. And there you go. Another wonderful guest. Uh, go Make sure you go to uh, foreverhomesforfosterkids.org. Donate as much as you can. We know it's the holidays and we know times are tough. However, any little bit will help Richard find uh, these foster children uh, either a permanent home with their uh, blood relatives or a permanent home uh, with an adopted family. Either way, it is uh, very important that these children get placed into these homes. Also, be sure to go to Amazon and get Do Not Harm. The U.S. border child tragedy continues. This is going to educate you on some of the things that are happening here, not overseas, not 30,000 miles away. This is happening here in the United States, right on the border where you live. So get this book, do your research, know what's happening. Uh, next week, we ha we'll have another great guest. Uh, we will be going to different times in January, so stay tuned for that. We're going to be going to Tuesday nights at, uh, I believe, 9 or 9.30, probably Probably around the same time, but uh, different days. So stay tuned to that. Now remember, go to foreverhomesforfosterkids.org and donate now. There should not be any child left behind. <laughs>